Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, well, they, you know, they're confused or they're always more one thing than another. Um, they don't feel comfortable in themselves. And, you know, all of these things that there might be elements of those things in in some people. And that's absolutely fine. But it's not this. You know, the title is ironic. There isn't one mixed yeah race experience you know and even the title in itself is provocative because race doesn't exist so even being mixed race technically doesn't exist yeah. but of course we all need language to define ourselves everybody you know likes to use language to give themselves an identity and there's nothing wrong with that you are listening to the dope black mums podcast Delighted to be joined by Naomi Evans, founder of Everyday Racism, author of The Mixed Race Experience and Dope Black Mum of Two. Welcome to <laughs> the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. A delight. <laughs> so I know this wasn't your experience, but just wondering if you could take us back to 2020 to Natalie's experience. Um, so for those who don't know, Naomi and Natalie Evans, uh, sisters and founders together of Everyday Racism and yeah. authors, co-authors of the Mixed Race Experience. Um, so yeah, wanted to talk about Natalie's experience in 2020 with a yeah. video that um, went viral. Yeah, absolutely. So um, she was on a train coming back from London to Margate where we grew up and we both now live we both moved away and and then came back um and she essentially witnessed a racist incident on the train which involved two white men racially abusing the black ticket conductor um so she kind of watched things play out um realized it was going bad um, and recorded some of it as evidence for the conductor and then ended up kind of stepping in and saying to the guys, you need to stop now um, and trying to kind of support the conductor. Was she scared at all? That's a really brave thing to do. Yes, yeah, she was. She was. She says, you know, that she was shaking and she yeah. felt sick and, you know, like your heart's pumping. But I think she was looking around and she said like no one was going to do anything. Mm. So she was like, I've got to, I've got to step in. So she did, and I was the first person she called when yeah. she got off the train afterwards because you know we're sisters, we're very close. Yeah, and um, what was it like to receive that call from a shaken up? Yeah, it wasn't nice. She was really crying. And so at first I was like, what's happened? What's happened? And um, she explained. And I was ironically um, 
crossing a railway bridge. So I was like <laughs> stood at the top of this bridge listening to her. Um, and I said, you know, we've been here before. Um, you know, this isn't the first time like this kind of things happened where you have to kind of speak up and say something. But it really did feel quite different. She was very upset. Um, and she said, I just, the thing that's just made me so angry is that that carriage was full of people yeah. and literally nobody said anything. Yeah. Or it made my people... teeth itch reading it. Just yeah. like, it makes you itchy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was just that anger, frustration. Um, and she said, like, people were also looking at her as if to say, why are you making this even more awkward? Mm-hmm, you know, like, mm-hmm. you should. Or afterwards, some people, like, went up to her and said, well done. And she right. was like, well, where were you? Where were you, mate? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Easy to say it after the moment. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I get it. It is hard sometimes to kind of speak out and, you know, stand up in these situations. But I think when you're with other people, you know, there's no reason why you can't back somebody up. Yeah. And support them. So we just kind of had a chat about why that was, why it's so frustrating. Um, Yeah. Okay. And so soon after that train incident comes the launch of Everyday Racism. So this is your anti-racist platform on Instagram. This is around what, a year and a well now a year and a half later. The account has around two hundred and three thousand followers. Yeah, it's, that's pretty crazy, isn't yeah. it? I had to think about that number for a second. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So, can you tell me about the mission of your page everyday racism yeah well it has evolved because it started really after the video um was shared it wasn't shared immediately what happened was my sister just sent it to a few close friends and said like this happened um and then the murder of Ahmaud Albury happened Mm. in the US and one of our black friends said Loads of people are saying things to me like, oh, thank goodness stuff like this doesn't happen in the UK or isn't it awful what's happening in America? And he said, can I just share the video because I want people to see that incidents can escalate and things, you know, things can happen. And this is a universal human issue. Yeah. happens everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And um, he shared the video and it went viral. So it wasn't actually us that initially put it out. And then we started to watch the commentary around the video. And a lot of it was really supportive, you know, well done. It was Mm -hmm. great you said something. But some of it was, um, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, isn't this terrible? And -hmm. you're thinking, well, this is like a very I'm not minimalizing the incident for the gentleman involved but this is like a very common occurrence for people um so that's really it was Natalie was living with me and we were sat in her bedroom and we were watching it and then we just kind of turned to each other and said we should start something where people can literally share their stories because there isn't that space to just be like hey 
this happened to me you know this is what happens to people it's yeah. not unbelievable it's very it's very normal it's very for a lot real of people. and, and yeah. that's exactly I assume why you're at the following you are because you just need a space to share and just that collective collective space to uh to share unfiltered especially for the incidents like you said you're not minimizing it but especially for the incidents that are micro you can have deflected that your whole life you could minimize that yourself your whole life just to get through the day get through yeah. work, get through relationship whatever it is get through the comments get through people not pronouncing your name all these little things that we have all probably minimized in our life yeah so it's nice just to have a space that actually this does matter this yeah. is a thing. I'm not making up my head. Exactly. Because yeah, that yeah. happens to me all the time. I think that's what it was initially. There were a lot of people just saying, yeah, that happened to me. And, you know, it was just this kind of shared moment of, mm. okay, this, I'm not, this isn't over the top. My response is actually completely justified. Nice. And that's how it began. But then, obviously, we all know after the murder of George Floyd, things kind of opened up in terms of the conversation, the way people were talking about racism globally. Mm. And things kind of shifted slightly with the account because we started to put out more kind of educational content, explaining things, um, sharing petitions. Right. Um, Is that when you noticed the audience widening? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it really did. Like, especially, we do, like, very kind of simple posts around, you know, what does this mean? What's white privilege? Super accessible, which is brilliant. And and, and some people may be really... probably embarrassed to ask what these terms mean yeah I think so your posts really really just break it down yeah and I think um yeah I think that's part of it that people maybe you know and it's right you don't want to kind of if you're someone that doesn't experience racism bombard your friends that do asking them questions and things like that so where do you go to kind of learn a bit more and to understand things because people you know we do want people to learn and empathize and understand more. Mm, so I guess it is this a burden is one having way. to explain. So just having a space where it's a where there's a resource, that's brilliant. I'm sure just yeah, very, very useful. Um so now to the present, you have the virtual <laughs> book club and you've yeah. recently released your book, The Mixed Race Experience. And you both are still working full time. <laughs> no, well, no. <laughs> okay, I was just about to say, how is this all happening? Yeah, that and it, being a mother. No, what? Nina. Yeah, Kathleen, <laughs> what's going on here? So Natalie um, left her job about six months ago to kind of run everything full time. That's so she, fabulous. Yeah, so she runs the book club. She runs our Patreon, which is like our learning group. Um, and I look after the kind of social media and we both do the train, we do training for companies and I've just written a schools program, the anti-racist school. Um, I do still teach three days a week. Um, I'm dropping down a little bit in September because obviously it is a lot to juggle. Mm. (laughs) Just as you're saying all of this for both of you, what do you two do just to have a, a release from all of this? This is really heavy work. 
heavy content kind of reliving trauma maybe it's 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 truly remarkable that you're explaining and breaking these things down so easily but is there ever a moment we're just like I just need to have a little break because I've just explained what white privilege is 20 times or how, how do you how do you both protect yourselves and kind of protect your peace and protect your your headspace from all of this because just imagine with the with the following you now have and all the people who are sharing their their moments is it ever just a bit overwhelming yeah and I think it's not just about the things we do but obviously reading other people's things as well so like social media obviously you can get really overwhelmed with what's being put out there is so much information um and we are online a lot and so we have to be quite um disciplined about when it's become too much right okay I'm I'm not going on today and Natalie be like that's fine I'm I can manage it today. Tag me in. Exactly. And if not, then both of us are just like, we're out. We're out for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, So So we go with how we're, how we're feeling, but it's been a, it's been a lot of learning because Mm. it's very, it can be very addictive. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, particularly for people that probably make their living from it, you know, that is a very difficult boundary to manage um but I think we try not to invest everything just into social media um and that's why I really didn't want to give up teaching because I love it I love my school I love my students and yeah so that was really important to me what what age do you teach oh sorry um secondary (laughs) oh that's powerful stuff that's great well I'm just congratulations to you both for just holding all those spaces and, and managing it so so effortless well what it seems like effortlessly from from a fan point of view oh thanks Nina yeah so on to the book the mixed race experience I just yeah. want to read out a part of the intro because this had me in tears so we hope that if you are mixed race you finish this book knowing you are enough with no size to choose I was crying my eyes out, <laughs> crying my eyes out reading that. And then I picked up the phone and phoned my brother. And then I phoned every single mixed race person I knew. And then I phoned every parent of mixed race children. I was like, you wow. have to get this book. You have to read this book. I have such a similar experience to you both. I grew up in well I I grew up in Bristol from seven to 19 okay and um I have just never seen anything speak to my experience or I'm also dyslexic right Um, so so it just gave me what it just it just it just gave me the language to explain my experience which I've never had before and and it did it so eloquently I was like wow this is I know every inch of this so just Thank you for writing it. And I've told everybody to go and get it. And oh. I've read it a few times now and I just, I just think it's fabulous. <clears throat> Thank you. Do you know what? One of the things that I completely underestimated after writing the book and obviously it being released was the amount of people that would say, this is what I experienced. This mm-hmm. spoke to me. It was like you were writing my life. <laughs> or a parent saying, 
I've totally seen that in my children. Like I was really, I was not expecting to have that volume of feedback and it's really moved me. That's that's amazing. Well, it's everything. It's everything, like you you say quite often, it's everything we wanted when we were growing up and everything I wished my mum had read. Yeah. when before she had children or as as having us she could just understand because one of the points that you also say is I felt constantly alone so just reading that I was like yes yeah. I get <laughs> everything of this oh so just going back to the book um for anybody that hasn't read the book can you tell us a little about the book yeah sure so it's, it's a mixture, really, of kind of our experiences of growing up in a very white majority area um, in a seaside town in Kent um, and growing up uh, predominantly with our white mother and what it was like kind of going to school, navigating friendship groups um, and, yeah, to kind of where we are now, how we've got to the place where we are now, where we feel a lot more comfortable in ourselves and in our identity but also we interviewed 30 people along the way um of different uh backgrounds um and got their kind of take on on their experiences as well so not just people who had the same kind of background as us um so we we hear from them in the book and then we also have a little bit of a guide um along the way for people who do identify as as mixed heritage and for people who are in interracial relationships and for parents of um, multiracial children. So I think there's quite a lot in there for all different people. Um, And, you know, we kind of say that it's got something for everybody because I'm sure most people know somebody, have a friend, um, have a relationship in some way with somebody um, who is mixed heritage. So, um, yeah, I think there's lots in there that can be gleaned from it. Yeah, I thought it was so beautifully done to hear the interviews from people from different mixed backgrounds and to to really understand the mixed relationships. But also what I thought was vital is to dispel the common myths, the stereotypes which can be so damaging. How did it, how did it feel to, how did you go about tackling, attempting to write that kind of dispelling the myths and talking about the stereotypes? I think sometimes, you know, there are truths in some stereotypes. That's why they're, you know, they're called stereotypes. Um, And so there were things that, you know, for example, I, felt about myself but then things that Natalie didn't feel about herself at all so I think what we did was just try to after we did the interviews and obviously read a lot about people's experiences just kind of give the headlines of things that people might think or say about um people of mixed heritage you know like oh well they you know they're confused or they're always more one thing than another. Um, they don't feel comfortable in themselves. And, you know, all of these things that there might be elements of those things in in some people. And that's absolutely fine. But it's not this, you know, the title is ironic. There isn't one mixed yeah. race experience, you know. And even the title in itself is provocative because race 
doesn't exist. So even being mixed race technically doesn't exist. Yeah. But of course, we all need language to define ourselves. Everybody, you know, likes to use language to give themselves an identity and there's nothing wrong with that but I think we kind of try and unpick some of those things within Mm. the book so there's a whole chapter on race you know and what do we actually even mean by the term race hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And, and out of interest, what terms do you and Natalie use for yourselves? Well, it's kind of changed <clears throat> along the way. I mean, when we were younger, um, our parents didn't use this, but we were called half-caste. Oh, God. That's what I people... remember. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. And people were very kind of freely using that term. And then there's the awful quarter-caste. There was all of that, I remember. Yeah. So that's what I... When I was very young, that was the term I used to hear people call me. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum and dad always called me mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the term I used. And then as I got older, I became a bit more confident in calling myself black. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a whole, that was a whole other journey. Yeah, um, know it well. Yeah. <laughs> and... And that's fine. And I have absolutely no issue with, you know, calling myself black or anybody else calling me black. Um, But I think, do you know what, more and more now, if people ask me, I'll say, I'm Jamaican and English. Nice. Like, I actually just feel much happier about saying what my heritage is. Rather than being like, oh, I'm mixed race. Mm -hmm. I'll be Mm -hmm. if somebody asks me, I'll be like, Oh, and Jamaican in English. Mm-hmm. And out of interest, as a mother, what are you saying to your children? Because my children often come out with all the amazing things a four-year-old or six-year-old may say. <laughs> and what, what do you say to them? Do they ever ask or, or have they ever asked when they were younger anything about race or anything about your race, your skin tone? Yeah, they have for sure because... um my two boys are very, very light skinned. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you might use the term white passing. Um, right. It's other than their hair, really. Um, they would pass for white children. Um, but my eight year old will, he 
is very aware of like what I do that I've written the book um and we've talked about things since they were quite young we've like we've been to Jamaica together as a family like they obviously know their granddad is he's very dark-skinned black so he will say that he is mixed race and he used to call himself brown and I said to him oh what you know why do you call yourself brown and he's like well because you're black and daddy's white so I'm brown that makes absolute sense yeah so for him that's what he he would say but then now he'll say oh yeah I'm you know I'm white and black um and that's how he identifies and again like that may change as he gets older Mm -hmm. but I think the one thing that I've always wanted for them which I feel I didn't have when I was younger was to have that sense of pride um in their heritage so I've been quite conscious that's why you know I made the decision that we would go together as a family back to Jamaica when they were quite young so that they were kind of fairly secure in the sense that this is part of their identity um and, and yeah, that's been really important to me. And anything else as a mother, anything else that you've intentionally, practically curated um, for your children? Anything you've gone out of your way to make an effort for? Yeah, so um, the hair products, making sure they've got the right hair products. We go together to choose them. Yeah, um, so can that- I just say, in Margate, because for Bristol, was yeah. that just like the one hair store? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, or you had to import it from the States? Yeah. When we were growing up, there was nothing. Yeah. So my grandma would send us stuff from the States. Yeah, which or, was a million pounds. Yeah, exactly. Or we would go and stay with our family in Nottingham. And like it was a real big deal mm-hmm. to go to the... Um, the shopping like centre. We're going to yeah. go do hair right now. It was like yeah. auntie's taking us. Like this is what we're doing today to get mm-hmm. us all the stuff. So we loved we loved doing that because there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Now there's a bit more down here, so you can go to like you know your supermarket and there will be a section. You know, and that's really nice for you for you all to do that together. Yeah, and so that they're not using, like, the wrong products because, you know, obviously certain things are going to completely dry their hair out and things like that. Um, the books as well. And, I mean, the books have changed dramatically. Um Isn't it amazing, the options now? It's beautiful. It's yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's still, you know, lots of issues with publishing, we know. But yes. you can obviously now get much more... Um, representation there are stories from different people um about different types of people so that's definitely been a conscious thing and also working with their schools because they go to schools where there are no black or brown teachers so for me that's been a big thing about working with their schools and finding out what they're being taught and things like that and has that been like well received or was any resistance yeah on the whole that's been pretty positive fabulous that's great so you grew up in margate moved away came back can you tell us a bit about that whole journey and how it feels coming back and raising children in margate yeah it's um it's changed quite dramatically Mm. from um 
yeah, when I was here, I mean, you probably know, like, a lot of people from London have moved down to Margate because of the cheap house prices. <laughs> and, yes. Um, that we we got like a beautiful art gallery about 10 years ago and it kind of changed the the vibe here um and there is a lot more going on we've got like um a black and brown group who are working towards building a cultural center here so yeah there's a it's very different to my experience and um it's far more multicultural than it was so for my children, that's definitely um, a positive. And, you know, I think in the past I would have maybe considered whether I'd want to bring my children up here. But now yeah. I, I do feel much more comfortable doing that. I'm really happy for you. And I can imagine all the work you've done to feel confident about that, because I, on the other hand, still hate Bristol a bit. Right. Like, I'm can go down and visit grandma I've still got school friends there yeah my brother lives there with his daughter um and wife but I, I still feel anger yeah. towards the whole city yeah the city as a whole and it's 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 so progressed like anybody listening it's massively changed but yeah my growing up there yeah I found so traumatic I remember eating lunch in the toilets I just found it so horrible that I can't think about raising my children there. Yeah, and do you know what? I totally get that because when I first moved back here, I found it incredibly difficult, Mm -hmm. really, really hard. And it's almost like I've had to do it to undo it. If that I makes understand. Sense. I, I can imagine it being amazingly therapeutic. Yeah, you know, and I've rebuilt therapy about it. But yeah, I've rebuilt like a, a completely different relationship with the place. But I think yeah. that's because it's been undergoing its own transformation. Yeah. So that's probably why it's slightly different. Yeah. Well, well done for for that journey because that's a really uh, progressive move for you. I can imagine very cathartic and great that you all are happy there (laughs) as a family. Um, A little bit of a segue, but just wanted to find out what you learned from writing the book, maybe about yourself, about your sister's experience, or just in general about identity. Yeah, I mean, gosh, so much. No, it's a big question. Yeah, no, it was a lot, Nina, because it took us about, I guess it was 10 months to write it. And I had to keep stopping because there were like points where I'd write something and then I'd need to actually process it. Mm. Um, Did you have any physical reactions throughout this? Like, did you feel tired during oh, yeah. headaches? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. very much yeah. so. Yeah. And, I mean, just tired anyway from being a parent, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> that never stops. Um, no. But, yeah, definitely emotionally very tired. Um, there were a couple of times where I was – Natalie and I would often write together. So, like, we'd both have our laptops and we'd be working together. And I would p- write something and then I'd turn to her and be like, oh my goodness, I've just realised this. Like, mm. I've just realised that's what that was about. <laughs> and so it was... therapeutic. Yeah, Brilliant. it was. It was. It was just sometimes it was a lot. Um, I had to have a little break reading it. 
yeah like, I had to kind of read it in in, in <clears throat> stages and take a moment and then call my brother discuss <laughs> the chapter come back again because it is a lot is a lot to have your experience reflected back to you it's it's holding up a mirror isn't it it's a yeah. lot to yeah. take in yeah and I can only imagine writing it and getting going through all the all the stages to actually have you know a legible readable book yeah it's um yeah it's it's a lot writing a book I definitely underestimated how much it would kind of you know take out of of me but like we were saying earlier now I'm actually hearing people's responses Mm. I'm so humbled and just yeah really overwhelmed and it's made me think I'm so glad I did do it yeah um because I don't know if I, you know, I wouldn't have connected with those people ha- even be having this conversation if that hadn't have happened. So yeah, and you have no idea what the legacy of that book is. Like, like, like I said, I phoned everybody I knew. They hmm. could have phoned everybody they've known. You know, just you, you never know. So no. it, it truly is amazing to have this book out in the world. So onto the new project, which is the Everyday Racism Book Club. Can you tell me a bit about how that works? Yeah, sure. Well, it launched actually um, at the beginning of the year. And um, we had have obviously done a lot of reading um, over the last couple of years. Um, and particularly Natalie has really, really enjoyed that space because she wasn't, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, like she didn't really enjoy school and yeah. um, her learning experience. And she found out later in life that she was dis- dyslexic and didn't know I totally understand I hated school (laughs) I'm dyslexic and it was a horrible experience and she's just really loved like having that space to be able to read so many books and explore um so many different genres and we were kind of doing a lot of promotion on the on the page of black and brown authors and their work and we were being sent books which was really lovely and so we were like, actually, why don't we, why don't we start a book club? Um, and the book club is um, only black and brown authors, all different genres. Um, and essentially people sign up, they pay a, a small monthly subscription. And then each at the end of each month, we have um, a meetup online, although we're going to do an in-person one soon. Um, and we Where's speak the in-person to the author. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we're so, going to do one in London. Okay. So, um, yeah. It's open for anybody to join. Anyone can sign up to the book club. Um, you can either pay the small monthly fee or a year in advance. It's up to you. And then um, you get access to the kind of, you know, the resources. You can run your own book club from it. So some people actually just meet together to do it in their house and they have us kind of zoom in to do the monthly meet. And a lot of people do it individually and it's built a really lovely community. And it's a way for us also to obviously support black and brown authors and share their work. Um, Natalie really loves doing it. And yeah. Fabulous. And with so many fabulous book clubs in existence what do you think makes the everyday racism book club different well I guess the fact that you know we are a um our authors are all um black and brown so that's one thing and you know that you're supporting um 
those authors by being part of the book club because obviously that you know increases their sales and we know that from the stats in publishing that there is a lack of support and putting money behind black and brown authors we kind of have seen like this you know rise in publishing and I think people think that that means that all black and brown authors are getting brilliant advances and loads of money for their promo. But actually, we know that's not the case. And also, there was like a little bit of a wave where publishers were kind of taking advantage of the fact that people were increasing their support. Um, And we see that kind of come and go. So there are issues. We know there are issues in publishing. Sounds fabulous, sounds fabulous. And just well done with all the spaces you're holding. So what's next for you both? <laughs> if any, I mean, I doubt there's any space, but if there is space and anything you can talk about yes, yeah, so, on the horizon. Yeah, the big, the big thing for us is the Anti-Racist Schools Programme. So I've been a, a secondary school teacher for 18 years. And my kind of big thing is that anti-racism training is not a statutory requirement for any teacher Mm. so we have safeguarding training that everybody has to do every year which is obviously very important but within that there is actually no reference to racism um and how to deal with that how to support students there's nothing about the curriculum so really you're kind of just hoping that schools and leaders and teachers will kind of take it upon themselves to do that. And schools are obviously very busy places. We know that teachers are really overstretched and overworked. And so for me, I'm like, where is that space for them to be able to do this? We can't just rely on, you know, hoping that people will squeeze it in somewhere. So I wrote a course, um, which is for school leaders, well, anyone that works with children, to be honest, and young people, because it addresses all the all the issues. Um, we did a kind of very soft launch a couple of months ago where I delivered the first course online and it went really, really well. And we've had a lot of interest. So we're launching it officially um, on the 2nd of September. Fabulous. Um, and people can sign up to do it online. Or they can uh, contact us to come in person and deliver it in their institution. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that's such a game changer. Thinking about all the terms and all the little things that have happened to me in school and yeah. even my children now in school. It's great to hear that that is in the pipeline. Yeah, and I think like... For me, when people ask about, you know, oh, how do we change things, you know, and I'm just like, well, for me, it's education. It's all about, this is all about education. You don't know what you don't know. And so to be, have the opportunity to work with the adults that work with the young people, but also I'm just seeing young people, they are so on it. They're so (laughs) with it and they're challenging the adults and there's a disconnect between what's going on and we're not actually meeting the needs of our young people at the moment. So I th- I'm hoping that this is a way that we can kind of reconnect with, with them. Yeah. Yeah. 
And lastly, if anyone listening who's really been struggling to embrace their identity, what would you like to say to them? I think um, it's definitely a journey. Like you, it's fine to not have it all figured out. It's okay to give yourself time to process what's happened to you and how you feel about things. Um, give yourself space and time and be kind to yourself because there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of voices out there. And sometimes you just need that space to be able to process what you think and feel about things. Um, so yeah, and I would just say as well, like, you don't need to be under pressure from anyone to mm-hmm. be something that you, you don't feel you are. Um, and to just kind of be comfortable with embracing how you feel about your identity. Because I think I spent a lot of time looking to other people for answers and to kind of validate me and to, to make me feel comfortable. And actually that's not particularly healthy. Yeah, I was nodding along to everything you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for writing, you and your sister, this amazing book. It's um, been a game changer for me, and I hope everyone listening goes out and gets a copy. Thanks so much for having me, Nina. Thank you. Dope Black Moms. If you'd like to join the Dope Black Moms private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Moms on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.